Well, good morning. My name is Rick Lyon. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, and for those of you are, that are counting that attend regularly, I'm the third Rick in a row to preach in three consecutive Sundays. Pastor Rick, then Pastor Rick or Whitmer, then Pastor Rick Harpel last week, and now me. And I told the first service they're, they're really scraping the bottom of the Rick barrel <laughs> here. But... Uh, John, John uh, had asked me to preach uh, some time ago, and uh, at that time I was uh, teaching a class uh, uh, through the book of First Peter, and he was sitting in uh, some weeks ago, a couple months ago, uh, on one of those classes, and he, afterward he said, hey, that would preach, uh, so why don't you consider sharing that? So that's what we're doing. I'm not reinventing the wheel this morning, uh, and if you were in that class, this will be rehearsal for you, but that's all right. Um, but uh, why don't we begin uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you that uh, you have given us your word that is imperishable, undefiled, uh, perfect in every way. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us uh, to make it plain to our hearts and our minds and that your spirit would uh, inspire our obedience uh, to do and to live out uh, what it says, that you might be glorified in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a question uh, for you. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, uh, you are what the Bible calls a Christian. And you have an eternal home. We've, we've sung about that this morning, haven't we? And we've read about that from the scriptures, that we have an eternal home. And in fact, in 1 Peter, at the beginning, it says that we have a home that's uh, kept for us in the heavens. And how thankful we are for that. But the question that I have for us that follow Christ is this. If, if our salvation was only intended for us to get a ticket to heaven, then why are we here today? Right? In other words, there's something for us if we have a heavenly home and yet we're not at that home yet. Right? So in other words... The point is God has an intention for each of our lives, each day of our lives, until we reach that glorious time when we see him face to face. And, I, and as much as I look forward to that, I don't want to lose sight of what it is that God has called me to today and every day, and as for you as well. And that's when we come. Uh, so I wanted to uh, draw your attention to a couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Peter speaks to this calling of our lives, this intention uh, and purpose for us. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and for what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You have a message to proclaim. You have uh, an experience that has happened. You have been brought out of darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of lo being lost and separated from God, and you've brought, been brought into the kingdom of light. That is the kingdom of Christ where we have hope, we have truth, we have a destiny. And you are to proclaim the excellencies of him who accomplished that for you. 
And then just a couple of verses later, uh, verses 11 and 12, Peter continues. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that they, when they speak evil, uh, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And sometime just a little later in the book of First Peter is where he indicates that if you live a life that is honoring to Christ and proclaiming his excellencies, people will come and ask for the reason for the hope that you have and that we need to be ready to give an answer for that hope. So that is our purpose, to make much of Christ in our life while we are on this journey and while we're exiles on this earth. Um, our citizenship is somewhere else, and yet our desire is that others would join us in that journey to our heavenly home. So here's just a brief background of First Peter. This is uh, some 30 years or so after Christ had died, uh, been buried and rose again and ascended to heaven. And now Peter is a, is a leader among the churches and he's writing this from the city of Rome where within probably a few years of this writing, he himself will be crucified upside down for the sake of Christ. And yet he's writing to these, these relatively young churches which, in, which are now in, in what we would call Turkey. And he's writing to encourage them and he's saying, uh, realistically, for standing for Christ, you are being persecuted. And throughout the book of First Peter, the reality of their suffering for Christ is very evident. They are struggling. They are hurting. They are afraid. They're wondering what to do. How do we live this Christian life amidst this difficult situation of standing and proclaiming Christ? So it's easy to say you're, you're called to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, and yet when the, when the rubber meets the road and opposition comes, it becomes much harder to stand. And Peter knows that, and so he's seeking to give them great encouragement. How do you stand for Christ? How do you make this message known? Well, it's interesting how he begins in 1 Peter chapter 1. After his initial greeting in the first uh, couple of verses, starting from verse 3 and on, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he recounts our salvation. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through, through faith for a salvation ready to be, be revealed in the last time. So, Paul, so Peter, knowing that he needs to encourage these young believers to stand firm in their faith, to make much of him, begins by rehearsing the very gospel that saved them. Why would he start with this explanation? Don't forget the gospel, is what Peter might be saying to them. And it's an amazing message, isn't it? We have an unfading salvation that can never be taken from us and it is held in the heavens for us by Christ himself how thankful are you for your eternal salvation aren't you thankful <laughs> we have such great things to look forward to it's unfading kept and guarded 
for us. How thankful we ought to be. And then we get to these verses in verse 13. Again, the context is Peter's reminding them of their calling to be made to make much of Christ. He says, here's the gospel. Don't forget it. And what does the gospel lead to? This is the first point we want to, to make here. Hope, the hope of the gospel leads to holiness. And that's an important uh, thing that we need to think about and, and understand. We're called to be obedient. We saw it right here. Be holy as I am holy, declares the Lord. It's a command to be holy, to follow his commands, to do what he says. And yet we need to understand our motivating factors for why we would want to do that. And that's what Peter starts by saying, remember the gospel. And that gospel remembrance ought to motivate your actions to please the Lord in every way. That's why he begins verse 13 with, therefore. Anytime you're reading the scriptures and you see the word therefore, what should you ask yourself? Why is the word therefore, therefore? <laughs> it means to look back. What has just been said and what does it lead to? Therefore is looking back at the remembrance of the gospel. And he says, now therefore in light of that gospel and that rich heritage that is yours in Christ, here's how you ought to live. He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So he calls them to some, some action plans. He says, first of all, prepare your minds for action. The, the Greek translation of that has the idea of literally girding up the loins of your minds. Okay, that's a term we don't use anymore. But in their day, if, if you were in the army, okay, in the military, you probably were wearing a robe of some sort uh, on your day-to-day -day attire. But when it came time to run or, or to act or, or to engage in battle, the soldier would take that robe from behind, pull it up, and tuck it into their belt so that their legs were free to run and engage as they need to, okay? And Peter is reminding them to gird up the, the, the loins of your mind. Be prepared. Think rightly about your calling, okay? And then he says to be sober-minded. This has the idea of being single-minded on Christ and his priorities. Don't be double-minded, double thinking about what can I get from the world and how can I also live for Christ, the singular priority of our lives is to live for the glory of Christ and to make him known. Be single-minded, sober-minded. And then he says, set your hope fully on the hope that is to come. Set your hope fully. The idea of this is like a compass that guides your path in the proper direction you ought to go. Some years ago, uh, our family, for my parents' 50th anniversary, went on a cruise to Alaska. And... Uh, uh, one of the days there was a, a talk where the, the, uh, my dad and I went to where the captain was speaking and he was talking about some of the technologies on the boat and how things are going. That's kind of interesting to us. None of the 28 other people went. Um, 
But one of the things that I remember from that is the captain talking in, in about their navigation system of the boat. And of course, today's day and age, how is a, a boat navigated? By GPS, right? <laughs> it's computers and it's satellites and all this stuff. And they can basically program the coordinates where they want to go and the boat will get them there. Okay. However, he said, what happens if all of that stuff breaks down? What happens if the GPS stops working? How do we get to Alaska? Or how do we get back from Alaska? Whatever it is. And one of the interesting things he said is, myself and, and a few others on this boat are still able to navigate with the stars. And you know, and try to whatever those tools are, maps and all that. I don't know how to do it. But amazing to me, thinking, okay, if all else fails, there is there are these immovable, always predictable objects in the sky where they can orient themselves to get into the right place. Okay? And the hope that we have in Christ needs to act for us as a compass to point us to our Christward lives. To our Christward lives. John Piper has a series of devotionals that he wrote called The Godward Life. Okay? I love that title. It's, it's always stuck with me. A Godward life. That's what Peter is calling these Christians to be about. Remember the gospel so that you stay on task. And then he calls them to, to be obedient children and to not be conformed, but instead to be holy. Okay? The idea here is that, that um, not to be conformed, like he says here, uh, to your, um, the conduct of your of your former life, your former ignorance, he says in verse 14. He's contrasting, they came from a pagan culture. We live in a pagan culture, don't we? It doesn't take us much to think about how does a pagan live, okay? And Peter's calling them to be otherly. You know how, to, you know how the pagans live. You were once one of them. He says, now let's live according to the call of Christ in our lives. And then he says, he quotes Leviticus 11, verse 45, You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is where God was giving the law to his people, the Israelites, back in, the, in this time. And he says, these are all things that will set you apart as my children. Therefore, be holy as I am holy. And then he says, uh, Peter continues, and he says, conduct yourselves with fear before the Lord. This is a driving desire to please the Lord in all things. What's the driving desire of your life? What's the, what's the driving concern of your day-to-day -day existence? And what would prove that? What evidence in your life dictates or is evidence of where your priorities lie? And here Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, to set your whole being to conduct yourselves with fear before the Lord. And this isn't the kind of fear that's a, a cowering fear of someone that's, that's going to destroy me if I step out of line. This is a reverence for someone that you love dearly. And I think we most of us understand that. There are people in our lives that we revere, that we honor, that we want to please just because they're so, they're so wonderful in our lives. This is the kind of fear. If we understand the goodness of God, and what he's done for us, we will want to honor him with how we live. 
So hope, our hope of the gospel that Peter reminds them of, and it reminds us of, ought to, f- to spring load us to want to honor and live for the glory of Christ. And that means obedience. Okay, and what does obedience uh, look like? Let's look at verses 18 through 21. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The second point that I want to make is that our obedience flows from knowing our precious redemption. Our obedience flows from knowing our precious redemption. Knowing means life-transforming understanding of what Jesus has done. It isn't a matter of knowledge of facts. Okay? But it's an understanding that propels how you live. Okay? It's living for a cause. And what is this? What do we come to know? Well, first, we, he says, we come to know that we were ransomed. Ransomed. We'd been held captive by something else. Namely, the enemy of the Lord. Satan had us captive in his kingdom. Captive to sin. And yet Christ, with his precious blood, has purchased us from that kingdom and transferred us to his kingdom of light. And how were we ransomed? Well, he says, not with perishable things. Not with perishable things. And this is a common term that Peter uses throughout the book of 1 Peter, this idea of perishable or imperishable. He, he quotes, or he, he uses that same uh, in verse chapter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, in talking about the inheritance that is ours in Christ that is imperishable. And he likens that here in in verse uh, 18, that we were ransomed not with perishable things, but something that lasts eternally. And what is that? The precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ is what we've been purchased with. It's a currency that is beyond value. No price can be put upon it. It is everything. Furthermore, it says, Peter says, you were ransomed through him. You are believers. It's through Christ. He is our hope. We sang about that this morning. He is my life, my hope, my song. And then he ends with, your faith and hope are in who? Yourself? Your spouse, your children, your work, your accomplishments. Your hope is not in any of those things or any of those people. Your hope is strictly in God alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. We sang that this morning. And in these verses, note the contrast between our old life and the life that comes through Christ. He uses words referring to our old life like futile, perishable, That's wasting away. But in Christ, now things like our life in Christ is uh, uh, highlighted by things like precious blood, without blemish or spot, foreknown. It's planned out from the beginning 
from before the foundation of the world, do you realize that your salvation was intended long before you ever came onto the scene? Long before any of us came onto the scene, long before creation itself, the infinite God in his infinite wisdom had you in mind to save through the precious blood of his son Jesus. <laughs> what an amazing gift. What an amazing promise. So we were planned out. We were raised from the dead. We were, and we will be, glorified. Do you look forward to that day when you will not just see with your eyes, but your heart, and you'll experience everything of who God is in his presence? Oh, man, I look forward to that day. This is the beauty of our salvation. This is what we ought to know, how we were transformed, how we were saved. We need to keep our eyes locked there. I want you to, to look at a couple of passages with me. I, I'm going to read the first one and then I'll have you turn to the, the next one. But I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 for you, speaking to this, knowing and keeping our eyes focused on our Savior. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here again, can you, can you picture the girding up your loins for action in these words? To throw aside the weight and the things that cling closely that trip us up and be ready to run the race that God has for us? How do we do that? Verse 2, looking, keeping a, a dedicated focus as though using a compass. This is our compass heading, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then here, would you turn with me uh, real quickly to Romans chapter 12. You can keep your finger in First Peter, but Romans chapter 12. How do we stay focused on Christ and do what he calls us to do? Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, okay, there's that word again, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, Peter's using the same terminology. We need to have a mindset that's correct. And Paul is calling them to the same thing. By the renewing of your mind, by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But where does Paul begin his sentence with the word therefore? He spent 11 chapters of the book of Romans prior to this focusing on the beauty of the gospel and the immense treasure that the gospel is. Salvation by faith alone in Christ. That sinners who were enemies have now been brought in. I mean, it's a, it's a glorious picture. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, in light of the beauty of the gospel, Here's how you're to live. And he spends the balance of the, of the book of Romans talking about some nitty-gritty doing Christian life kind of stuff, family stuff, 
uh, community stuff, nation stuff, etc. But he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. That one statement that Paul makes is, is a summary of everything he has said for 11 chapters. He goes, take all of that and let it come to your aid to help you live the life you ought to live going forward. And here's an important statement that I, I believe is in your notes that I want you to walk away with today to understand. And I'll read it. You can read along with me. We will not ever desire to live out holy lives unless and until we are absolutely amazed at what Jesus has done for us. Obedience comes out of worship. We sing a song like, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Are you amazed at the gospel? Do you rehearse it day in and day out and recall it and and stand in awe of what Jesus has done for you? If you don't, if we don't, we might do the things God calls us to do, but we're not going to do them from the right motive. We'll do them from law. We'll do them from fear, the wrong kind of fear. It won't be a reverent fear. It'll be a fear of being smashed or being seen by others negatively or whatever. But the motivation needs to come from what Jesus has done. That's why I would want to do what God calls me to do. Because he's amazing. That's what we're getting after here. But how do we know that we're living holy lives? How do we know that we've got the gospel always before us as a compass guiding us in how we ought to live? Well, Peter speaks to that. Uh, here in verse 22 and I've highlighted this by love evidences holy lives love is the evidence of holy lives verse uh, I got to turn back to Peter he says having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth why for a sincere brotherly love. And then he continues, love one another earnestly from what? A pure heart, a godly heart, an obedient heart. Having purified your souls, he says, leads to brotherly love. And then love one another earnestly comes out of a heart that is pleasing to the Lord, a heart that's obedient to the Lord. See, our hope is like that compass that points us to love. Okay? And the fact that we end up at that uh, love as, as a destination, we're, we're loving others as we ought in Christ, demonstrates we've come on the right path. We've been on the right journey. Our lives, our holy lives, are marked by love for the brothers. And if you would take time to look through the New Testament, you'd see a multitude of commands that have one another as the object of the command. Love one another. Honor one another. Forgive one another. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Love one another. Show hospitality to one another. I mean, there's, anyone will say 30, between 30 and 50. Some of them are repeats. Some of them are 
the same thing stated different ways. But the point is this. We are called to love one another, to demonstrate that love, because it necessarily demonstrates that we understand the love of Christ for us. That's where the love comes from. And it evidences that we understand the gospel and that we're desiring to honor the Lord. But here's a challenge question for all of us. What do we do if we look across the room or we think about someone that we know that's a brother or sister in Christ and we just don't like them? They drive us crazy or they've done us wrong in some way and we just feel like we can't forgive them. God, I, I love people, but I can't love that guy or I can't love that gal. It's just too hard. What do we do? Have you ever experienced that before? What do you do? Does God let us off the hook? Say, that's okay, as long as you're loving most of them. (laughs) Well, here's what I believe God's word might say to us. Uh, And this goes back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, which we just read. In view of God's mercy, live obedient lives. including obeying the command to love others. And here's, here's why I think that's important. Because if we review God's mercy, then maybe simply stated we say, the gospel demonstrates how Jesus loves sinners. Did he wait for you to be lovely? before he was merciful to you? Did he wait for you to clean yourself up and get your act together before he was merciful to you? Did he? You can answer. No, while you were yet sinners, while you were yet an alien to him, while you were yet an enemy to him, Christ died for the ungodly, the righteous for the unrighteous. So, if you're saying to yourself, God, I I can't love that person, then I would say you've got to go and check your compass and ask God to uh, reorient your heart in the right direction. And it might be a process, but it's a process God's God's will for you to go through because he desires and commands that you love one another. Because it demonstrates the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And if we can't love, we're off cali- we've lost our calibration. We've lost sight of what Jesus did for us. So encourage, I, take, uh, I ask you to ask yourself that question and ask God to help you if that's something that you might struggle with. But where does all of this desire come from? Yes. We're called to remember the gospel. Yes, we're called as a result of the gospel to live obedient lives that make much of Christ. Yes, we're called to, as we obey, to to love one another as we ought. That's that's what's going to overflow in love for each other. But what is the fuel that, that propels all of this engine of activity in Christ? It's all God's word. And that's where we come to finish from verse 23 through 2-3, which we'll read. 
since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's a, those words again, third time in the same chapter, the idea of perishable and imperishable. But now it's talking about God's word. Through the living and abiding word of God, that's how you've been born again. The gospel was proclaimed to you through the word of God. The Bible was opened and someone explained it to you. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel. That's the word, gospel, that was preached to you. Therefore, or so, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it they may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just as Christ and his blood are not perishable or temporary, God's word is not of perishable seed, but imperishable. And it is called here living and abiding. Okay? Christ is eternal, and he's given us an eternal word. And the two go hand in hand. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, about the grass and the flowers. And you can understand pretty simply the, the idea here. Okay? The most beautiful petal on the most beautiful flower. The most healthy and lush leaf on the prettiest plant is all going to rot. It's all going to go away. Uh, in a few weeks, Amy and I are going to go to the Tulip Festival over on the other side. Never done that. I look forward to it. How many of you have done that before? Okay. The month of April, it's going to look pretty cool. What's going to happen after that? Does it look so cool? It's all going to go away. Okay. Or go, go dormant at least. Okay. But the word of God stands forever. Its truths are unchanged. And we live in a society and a culture that wants to change it drastically, don't, don't they? But it never changes. And the reason it doesn't change is because God never changes. So the Holy Spirit uses the living truths of the Bible to bring, out, to bring about our eternal salvation and thus our hope and thus our holiness. Do you see the progression there? The Bible is used by God to bring out about our amazing salvation, which motivates our hope and motivates our holiness. Chapter two, verse one, commands us to put away evil thoughts and evil actions. It doesn't take much for us to understand what evil actions are. Does it? <laughs> we know what they are. We're familiar with them. We do them. And our world applauds them. We're called to other living. <laughs> Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Paul goes, it's, it's reminding me that he's saying, have your minds prepared. Be single-minded, focused on Christ and his call in your lives. So we need to put away the, the foolish ways of our former living. 
Instead, he says, we're to be like a newborn baby that longed for its mother's milk. Can a baby survive without nourishment? No. They're required to be fed. And in Christ, we are required to be fed in order to grow and be what God wants us to be. If we want to be a Christian, in the truest sense of the word, a little Christ or a Christ-like one, we need to be filled with God's word in order for that to happen. Just as milk is not an option for a baby, but is needed for life itself. Likewise, God-honoring spiritual life is nourished by God's word. I think of the fruitful man, the righteous man spoken of in Psalm 1, who's likened to a tree that's planted by deep waters, that, and its roots go down and, and absorbs the nutrients of that water. And they said that's like the man who cherishes God's word. He will be that righteous man. So we ought to plug ourselves and put us in the path of God's word at every turn. It's critical that we're here on a, on a weekly basis to receive God's word taught, read it and ingest it ourselves. It's critical that we go to one another and open our mouths and speak God's word to one another. When you have a friend that's in discouragement or despair or afraid, we have to go to them, open our mouths, and let God's word out. They don't need my opinion. I'm one of the dumbest people I know. Okay? But God's word has something to say that's eternal, imperishable, all these things that we've discovered here. So we need to bring God's word to bear in our lives because it is the fuel that fires our understanding of the gospel. It's the fuel that fires our desire to then obey his commands. And it's the fuel that fires our love for one another. The truth of the Bible is the vehicle by which we come to new life in Christ and by which we are faithful and joyful in our service to him. Faithful and joyful in our service to him. So we can never, should never, allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to become routine or mundane. It is, it's really the only glorious thing that we can truly know. Every, all of life points to the glory of, of Christ, and we have an eternal home. We look forward to that day, but let's not forget that he's left us here for now for the purpose of making much of Christ. And we do so by understanding the gospel ourselves. I would like to ask you to, uh, as we respond to this truth, by standing with me, taking out your worship folder, and turning to the page where we just sang the, the hymn, I Stand Amazed. We're going to sing together uh, the second verse and chorus. So, would you join me? He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary.
Calvary and suffered and died alone. Sing it like you mean it. How Father, we pray that your rich gift of salvation to us in Jesus would motivate every action of our hearts and minds and our bodies, that we would honor you in all things, that we might make much of Christ in this dark world and plead with those who are currently in darkness to come out of the darkness and come into the light of Christ, to trust the gospel. Help us to be faithful mouthpieces of that as we are motivated by the gift of salvation that is ours. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.